You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating whether or not Jesus fulfilled prophecy and we are starting right now with Samuel Nassan's opening statement. Samuel, the floor is all yours. Thanks for being here. Or hosting this, and thank you very much, Matt, for agreeing to do this. Um, in my very first debate uh, that I did, this was in 2012, uh, I, the argument from fulfilled prophecies was the one I used. Um, and uh, I'm excited to be able to just focus on this one uh, in this debate with Matt. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, to begin with, uh, let me quote a passage in scripture as to why I believe uh, this argument. Uh, is important. Uh, my contention in this debate is that, number one, Jesus did fulfill Old Testament prophecies. And I uh, make a disclaimer uh, before I start that by saying that Jesus did fulfill Old Testament prophecies, I do not mean that he has already fulfilled all prophecies. Uh, you know, there are some aspects that were meant to be fulfilled in his first coming, uh, and there are some aspects that are meant to be fulfilled in the future, and there are some other aspects that are being progressively fulfilled as the gospel spreads through all the world. So uh, in this debate, my position would be that Jesus did fulfill part uh, of the predictions uh, made in the Old Testament about him. The key text uh, for my presentation today comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 48, and I read from the ESV, then he, referring to Jesus, said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, scriptures here means the Old Testament. Verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written, written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So then Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment, not just of part of the Old Testament, uh, you know, 
passages here, here and there, you know, that uh, the Christian apologist has to somehow go hunting to find these obscure passages and to try and somehow squeeze them to make them fit uh, into the narrative of Jesus. Uh, not so. Jesus' self-understanding was that he was the fulfillment of all that was uh, the Old Testament. So in, in other words, the Old Testament existed to point people to Jesus. Uh, and so, uh, and that's really the position that I'm taking coming into this debate. Um, and so when you look through the Old Testament, my position is that when we see that Jesus is the central fulfillment of all that the Old Testament is talking about, the Old Testament written by at least no less than 30 authors over a period of more than a thousand years, uh, you suddenly begins to make sense in light of the person of Jesus Christ. Not one or two obscure passages, but the entirety of it. So with that big picture, what I'll do is uh, in my, the rest of my opening statement, uh, what I'll do is I'll run through the Old Testament to show why this big picture points to Jesus. Uh, we begin with, and yeah, before I even get there, uh, you know, for the purposes of this debate, uh, you know, it's my understanding that Matt will grant uh, that uh, the Old Testament was written uh, before uh, the, before the time of Jesus. Uh, and I know that Matt is not committed to whether Jesus uh, existed or not. Uh, that's certainly not part of this debate, but for the sake of argument, it's my understanding that he will grant uh, that uh, th th these passages already uh, existed prior to the time of Jesus. So Genesis chapter one, verse one, uh, the very first verse of the Old Testament begins with the phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God creates the heavens and the earth, and then he creates man. Genesis 1.26 uh, talks about how God creates man and women in his image uh, to rule over his creation. And keyword here, to be in a covenant relationship with him. The entirety of the Old Testament and the word testament itself is a covenant, speaks of God having a covenant relationship with his people. Uh, in this case of Genesis, it's Adam and Eve. Now in Genesis 3, man and woman sin. Uh, and they sin against God, uh, prompting the first, the, the, the second covenant, uh, or, or the, the first covenant, promising a savior. So the, the, this covenant comes in Genesis chapter 315, where God says, I will put enmity between you, referring to the serpent, uh, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, uh, referring to the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So right from the get-go, as soon as Adam and Eve sin, the promise is God is going to send uh, uh, the seed of the woman, a singular he who is going to crush the head of the serpent, have ultimate victory over the head of the serpent by being bruised in the heel. Now, I will interpret that as uh, bruised in the heel just means suffering a slow and painful death. Uh, but that's again, be something we can discuss later. But the important thing is that as soon as the sin takes place, God promises someone who will ultimately have victory over uh, Satan. And Genesis 4, you see the idea of a sacrificial lamb. Uh, Genesis 4, 4 talks about a sacrificial firstborn lamb being offered to gain favor with God. And so automatically you have the picture that God uh, you know, expects forgiveness through the blood of the lamb. This is a theme that will play all throughout the Old Testament. When we get to the uh, book of Exodus, the number of things that God does uh, for to set the people of Israel free, uh, and the last one uh, that ultimately does it is the blood of the lamb on the Passover. But before that, Genesis goes, uh, the, the, what happens in Genesis is it begins with this, this overarching context of God is going to send the seed, 
and it begins in Genesis chapter 11, uh, 12 with a person called Abraham. It narrows down. God promises Abraham that through his seed, all nations on the earth will be blessed. So the promise now is narrowed down, uh, most specified to Abraham. Uh, and through Abraham's seed, this is going to happen. And we know that through Isaac, this comes about. And in Genesis chapter 22, we have a very interesting story. Uh, I think that, if I'm not mistaken, Matt has spoken on this story before. It's a popular one. Genesis chapter 22 talks about God commanding Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. This is in Genesis 22, verse 2. And off the get-go, there seems to be a factual error. Isaac was not Abraham's only son. Isaac was not even the oldest son. But why does God refer to Isaac as the only son? And in that passage, God tells Isaac to go, uh, Abraham, to go to the land that I will tell you, to the mount, uh, to the regions of Moriah. And there Abraham goes up that hill uh, to sacrifice his son, Isaac, with Isaac carrying the wood up that hill. Isaac is fastened to that wood on top and is about to be killed when God stops and provides an alternative, a ram in the place of Isaac. And interestingly, in that passage, Abraham says this, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Future tense, it will be provided. What will be provided? The context is the sacrifice of the only son. Interestingly enough, uh, we know that uh, Mount Moriah uh, or the regions of Moriah was where Solomon built uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And 2000 years later, Jesus dies on Mount Moriah. Now, is that a conclusive proof that that's a prophecy about Jesus? No, but you have to see it in the entirety of the context. The narrative goes on with it getting clearer and clearer where exactly the sacrifice will be given. And then when you come through uh, Exodus, you see that, for example, God forgives sins through the blood of the lamb. God delivers through the blood of the lamb. In fact, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. God promised redemption through an outstretched arm. And long story short, when you go through the entirety of the Psalms, and the prophetic literature, you get the idea that God himself will be the sacrifice. In fact, in Isaiah 53, and I'll probably have only time to just get through with this, uh, you notice the phrase comes in, Isaiah 53, who has believed, was one, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Where did we hear the word arm of the Lord? Well, that was in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, the means through which God redeems his people. And you go down and you find Isaiah 53 promising uh, that this arm of the Lord is going to be despised uh, in verse 3. Is he will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. Verse 4, he will be, verse 5, pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. Uh, and when you get to uh, chapter 8, by oppression and judgment, he will be taken away. He will be cut off from the land of the living. Uh, and yet, verse 10 says, uh, 10, 11, and 12 talks about his death, which will bring bring a blessing to the nations, going back to the promise of Abraham that through his seed, all nations on the earth will be blessed. So again, I could go deeper into this, but I, my time is running out. I will hope that either through the cross-examinations and the rebuttal uh, to help us realize uh, that uh, all this picture of God, the context of all this is that when man sinned against God, God is beginning a plan to redeem man through him. This plan is ultimately fulfilled with Jesus. And by the time you get to the book of Revelation, uh, which is a prediction of the future, you have basically God once again uniting man to him 
in this grand picture consummating with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. Samuel, we will kick it over to Matt for his opening statement as well. Ten minutes, the floor is all yours, Matt. Cool, cool story. And sorry for the late start. It was entirely my fault. There's also been some internet hiccups. But uh, so if we were to ask, did Jesus X, uh, for example, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus emerge from a virgin, preach the words attributed to him? Did Jesus have sex? Did he eat food? Did he curse a fig tree? Did he walk on water? Did he curse the blind? Did he poop? Did he fulfill prophecy? Those are in different questions, and not all those questions are asking about something that can easily be verified. And while I'm not a mythicist, we can't even verify a single story about a single event from his life, including whether or not he actually existed. It's probably may have had sex, although I'm sure that will offend someone. It won't offend them as much as the suggestion that he might have had gay sex, which, by the way, is a more reasonable inference from the text about the disciple whom Jesus loved than any proposed prophecy we're likely to hear tonight. But the other things are less mundane and require a bit more than, well, that's what the story says, or we can reasonably infer this about someone. Hopefully, we will have several specific prophecies on offer tonight, statements that clearly predict a future event, and then solid evidence that show that this future event was fulfilled, in fact, by Jesus and not merely stories. I'm doing my opening second, so we would have already heard this, except I evidently we didn't. The James Randi Educational Foundation for years had a million-dollar prize for anyone who could demonstrate any supernatural ability. Uh, now, this question about whether Jesus fulfilled prophecy, I mean, the JREF tested people who claimed to be able to predict the future or remote view. I, I myself, as a magician, can do things that make it appear like I've made a prediction. As a matter of fact, before the debate started, I gave Sam a choice uh, from one of eight symbols, which I had already predicted with everything in front of him directly. I, I don't know if he knows how I did it. I don't, you know, it's not going to work well because of the cream screen. But so the question is, do we have specifics? If the James Randi Educational Foundation's million dollar prize can test psychics like this, then, and they can set up protocols to test this, then clearly this issue about whether Jesus was divine, whether he fulfilled prophecy, has to be worth more than a million dollars. So the standard of evidence for Jesus should at least rise to the level of being good enough to win the JREF prize. And it doesn't. You can't just walk in with a story of one person doing something that was predicted in a different story, because if that's the standard, then we can say Harry Potter fulfilled prophecy or that Neville fulfilled prophecy in fan fiction. For example, the trick that I did uh, is not only, I think, more impressive than any prophecy purported in the Bible or any prophecy that we're likely to hear about there, but it is specific. It is not prone or subject to interpretation of verses or symbols. For prophecy to be considered a prophetic and correct, it must be specific. It must be unambiguous, answerable by a single future fact without interpretation. It can't be something in, in the that's out in the open that people are working to fulfill, like building me a house or bringing the medium rare steak that I ordered. Waiters and cooks aren't fulfilling prophecy. And people actively working to make, let's say, Jew, uh, a Jewish nation state aren't working to fulfill prophecy because that's not what prophecy is. It's not, hey, go do this. So the question is, did Jesus fulfill prophecy? Well, I don't know how anybody can say yes if we can't even demonstrate any facts about and details about his life. It just becomes a story. And a story, by the way, that the authors, for example, the author of the book of Matthew, seem really desperate to have Jesus fulfill as many Old Testament prophecies as possible to the point where, and I think it's Matthew 2, 23 or so, he seems to just mention a prophecy that nobody can find in the Bible. Um, 
Maybe it's a lost text. Maybe he got a tip from an insider. Maybe it's just a cool story he heard. But the Jews, generally speaking, do not think that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. It's their book. It's their prophecies. Why don't they think that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, because he didn't fit any of the characteristics, or he didn't actually fit all of the characteristics of the prophecies, even in the story. Now, I could go through the Matthew 2.23 thing. Is it from another source? Did he make it up? But the truth is, it doesn't matter, because we have two different genealogies. Well, why do we have two different genealogies? Oh, one's through the father and one's through the mother. That's a post hoc rationalization. It's not like anybody can prove that any of these genealogies are Jesus. It's not like anybody can prove that he was born of a virgin or anything else. But they have to do these genealogies in order to tie him to David, because it the, the Messiah that is not a divine figure in Judaism. It's a king that is there to restore the temple, to guide people to obey the law, the 613 mitzvah. And that's essentially, those are things, and he, he shouldn't be killed in the process. process. Judaism doesn't have a concept of fulfilling the law. The law is unchanging, and God is unchanging in Judaism. There's no concept of being born sinful. There's no concept of being born in need of salvation. Jesus is viewed as an influential false prophet within Judaism because he supported alterations to God's unchanging law. The Messiah in Judaism is a warrior king, liberator, that's there to guide the people to follow the law. This concept of, of, of a Messiah originated in Judaism. He, the Messiah isn't divine or God. He must do certain things, and he must not do certain things. Now, it's too much to dig through all of what the Jews do, did and currently do believe about uh, a Messiah, but the Jewish version of Jesus is viewed through the lens of Christianity itself. Otherwise, it would just be another false prophet. Uh they, the Jews view these as based on mistranslations or misinterpretations. And Sam, when he's running through these, you know, talks a lot. We, hey, we have Genesis 1 and Genesis 3 and all these other things. But it's all subject to interpretation. Islam and Christianity are perversions of Jewish foundations. They are extensions. They are unauthorized sequels that don't actually pay close attention to the model. Instead, they changed the model, which is why there were some Jews that followed Jesus, and there were some that didn't, because the ones that, you know, the, the, the rabbis who, who understood this stuff were saying, hang on a second, you're, you're not what we're expecting, which is one of the reasons why he was uh, purportedly killed. When it comes to messiahs and whether or not somebody fulfilled prophecy, I'll stick with the people whose ancestors authored the prophecy who have spent their entire life studying it. Now, I know there's an, another group of people who've spent their lives studying it, too. So at a minimum, what we can say is there's a group of people who don't think Jesus fulfilled prophecy, and they were the people who are tied to the original prophecies, and there's a group of people who do think that Jesus fulfilled prophecies, and neither one of them can demonstrate the truth of this proposition sufficient to change the mind of the other. And so the one correct answer about whether or not Jesus fulfilled the prophecy or any prophecy is we don't know. Now, if Sam wants to claim that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, he needs to state a specific prophecy, not a conversation perhaps in Hosea, uh, as is one of the foundations for the passage in Luke, where a couple of people are talking to each other about something specific to their life, and only in hindsight 
Can somebody go back and look at it? It's like, oh, we'll stay with him for two days and then the third day we'll be fine. Oh my gosh, that's what happened to Jesus. It must've been a prophecy. Yes, the text of the Old Testament existed beforehand, but it wasn't viewed as a prophecy by the Jews regarding their Messiah because their Messiah wasn't supposed to die. And it wasn't shouldn't be viewed as a, as a prophecy by anybody else because it's not until after these events are reported in the New Testament that somebody then goes back and says, oh, look, here, here's this passage, which kind of sounds like what happened. That must be prophecy. He then needs to, after showing a specific prophecy that's not prone to interpretation, show that this prophecy was necessarily fulfilled by a fact in Jesus's life. And I don't know how you can do that when we can't confirm any facts from Jesus's life, especially nothing extraordinary. I'm happy to you say, yep, there was a guy there, um, but we don't know much about it. Even if he's able to do all of this, he still has all of his work in front of him because the fact that somebody made a prediction and some event can be tied to show that it apparently has come true doesn't tell you how it came true. Was it luck? Was it a reasoned inference? Were there people working towards it? Did the prophet actually have foreknowledge? And if he had foreknowledge, how did he get this foreknowledge? Did the foreknowledge come from a god or a time machine? Was there trickery involved? This entire thing about prophecy is a cascaded bait and switch. People want you to make you think that Jesus fulfilled prophecy because then your natural instinct will be to say, well, if you fulfilled prophecy, uh, it must be God. But that the fact that a, a prediction ultimately did or didn't come true doesn't tell you anything about the source of it or how or why. The topic of this debate isn't debated all that often, at least amongst theists and non-theists. It's debated quite often between different denominations that have different views or between Jews and, and Christians. But it's not debated too much because it's useless. They can't prove what they claim they can prove. And even if they could prove it, it wouldn't prop up their beliefs. If the average mentalist can do much more accurate and impressive predictions, and we can, it's ridiculous to claim that one story is somehow a fulfilled prophecy from another story. And while it may upset people to think that, you know, hey, uh, did Jesus poop? Did Jesus have sex? The thing is, imagine in about 200 years on an episode of Modern Day Debates where the, the subject of the debate is, did Jesus hook up with fishermen or just have one man that he loved? And the atheist could show up and say, oh, come on, it's just a story. I know there's language about lying on the Lord's bosom and the disciple whom Jesus loved and introducing that disciple as a son to his own mother. But all that stuff is just in the Gospel of John. You're not going to rest it all on one gospel and one story, right? This reminds me of the days when people kept pushing Matthew's prophecies. And we have no idea whether he's gay or bi or pan or monogamous because you can't prove any of it. And that's why I don't see how anybody can show that Jesus fulfilled a prophecy. Thank you very much. We will jump into the rebuttal. So these are five minutes each, and then we're going into the cross-examination. So Samuel, the floor is all yours. I've got the timer set for you. Thanks so much for being here. Could you reset the time, James? Uh, I just muted myself a little bit. Okay. Uh, it's a little bit, if you're able to turn your volume up just a little bit. I haven't started the timer yet, but your volume's a little bit lower, Samuel. Okay, let me just uh, work on my audio. Even if you just get closer to the mic. All right, is it better now? That's better, good. Great. Okay. All right, I'm starting. Yeah, uh, thank you, uh, Matt, for that uh, opening statement. Uh, so uh, to get to some of the points that uh, Matt actually said, uh, he said that, uh, I, so to, for the, because I only have five minutes, I'm going to be rushing through this. Uh, and hopefully we will get the cross-examination a chance to actually discuss some of this. Uh, but Matt's position is not that Jesus did not fulfill the prophecy, to be clear. And if, if I'm misrepresenting him, I hope he will correct me uh, later. Uh, his position is that we can't know anything for certain uh, about Jesus. 
Jesus Christ. Um, and so here's a point of disagreement, definitely. I mean, as, a, as someone who believes uh, that we do have records of Jesus that are early, uh, within the lifetime, uh, within the first generation of Jesus, uh, and uh, external historical support, not to mention, uh, I'm sure Matt knows all of this, uh, Cornelius Tacitus, uh, Suetonius, Pliny the Younger, uh, and Marabas Serapia, and the Babylonian Talmud, Sanhedrin 43b, uh, the whole list of them. Uh, there's, there's a list of uh, both biblical and extra-biblical sources. In fact, I think there's more evidence for the historicity of Jesus than, um, as it's commonly said, than any other figure in history uh, that I'm aware of. Um, and so if we can't be certain about that Jesus existed, we might as well dismiss the entirety of history uh, to begin with. Um, and I don't think that's very helpful. Uh, and so can we verify anything about Jesus Christ? Sure we can. Uh, sure we can. It just depends on what is our criteria of verification. Uh, well, I believe that the New Testament writings are reliable. That's clearly not the debate. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to uh, change the focus of the debate into the New Testament reliability. Rather, I want to address some of the other points that Matt has raised. Uh, Matt says that prophecy must be specific. I agree. I, I think that we can, while we may disagree how ex specific exactly uh, the prophecies of the Old Testament are concerning Jesus, mind you, the entirety of the Old Testament pointing to one single person going down from Abraham to Isaac to, uh, to, to uh, Judah, to the tribe of Jacob, to the tribe of Judah, to the seed of David, it gets more and more specific uh, until it comes down to the person of Jesus. And that's why perhaps uh, both Mark, uh, Matthew and Luke are interested to begin with a genealogy uh, to show that Jesus Jesus fits the criteria because the Old Testament makes such specific prophecies as to when it must come. I also think that the Old Testament makes a prediction as to when uh, the messenger of the covenant will come. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3, we see that uh, the, the, the prophet Malachi prophesies that the Lord himself would come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant is going to come into his temple. And we know the temple was destroyed some 440 years after the writing of Malachi. So there was only a 440-year window uh, for that to be fulfilled. But mind you, the temple of Herod was only uh, began to be built later on. So there's, that makes it an even more tinier window by which the Messiah had to come. So I think that the, the, the Old Testament is being specific, but again, we may dispute as to whether it is, it is uh, specific enough for our satisfaction. Uh, so uh, he says that the prophecies cannot be by interpretation. I would argue that every single thing we say, everything that Matt says, everything that I say is subject to both interpretation and misinterpretation. That's just a fact. If I write something, people can misinterpret me. Uh, to say that prophecies must not be subject to interpretation unless I'm misunderstanding Matt here. And if I do, I do apologize, and I hope that he will clarify. Uh, everything we say really is subject to interpretation. Uh, he says that people cannot be working to make it happen. Uh, well, if, if the prophecy is come about by God, and God is the one fulfilling the prophecy, then it definitely makes sense that God would make every attempt to show himself faithful to the prophecies he comes. Uh, but I do get met sentiment in that, you know, some people say that, well, they make this prediction and then they try hard to fit, uh, to, to make that happen, to show, to verify themselves. Bear in mind, this, this is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a series of prophecies over a period of a thousand years by more than 30 different authors uh, from the time of Moses all the way to the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament. So you're not talking about a, a, a one person saying something and then trying to to work hard to fulfill it. I totally get mad sentiments, but if God is the one making that prediction, uh, he would definitely do uh, every attempt to make sure that he's shown faithful to his word. Now, a few other things I wanted to get to, uh, that is that- well, 30 uh, seconds left. 
sure thing. Uh, the Messiah being the king, yes, uh, that is prophesied, but the Messiah is also a prophet and the Messiah is also God. We find that in passages like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, uh, Isaiah 7, verse 13. Uh, Matt said the Old Testament does not have a concept of original sin or being born sinful. I'd beg to differ. Psalm 51, verse 5, David says, in, my, in sin did my mother conceive me. Matt says there's no need for salvation in the Old Testament. Uh, well, David seems to differ. He, he says in that same chapter, restore to me the joy of your salvation, assuming it's something that can be lost. I'm out of time, uh, but uh, I look forward to the cross-examination. Thank you. Thank you very much. We will kick it over to Matt for his five-minute rebuttal as well. The floor is all yours. So I didn't hear much in the way of... Uh rebuttal to anything specific I made. As a matter of fact, I didn't hear anything that was really specific, which is kind of what I've been waiting for. Apart from, uh, you seem to think that I said that there's no concept of sin in the Old Testament. What I said is that Judaism doesn't have a concept of necessary salvation. Uh, you, you interpret the Old Testament different than Jews do. When you talked about the fact that I mentioned that uh, the the Messianic prophecy was about being a king. You said, yes, king and also a prophet. But Jesus wasn't a king and also a prophet. At most, you could list him as a prophet. He wasn't a king. And so he does not meet the prophecy, even by your own statements. Um, the, I have, I have a, let's see. You said that, I said that we can't know anything for certain about Jesus' life. Well, I don't think we can know anything for certain about anything or anyone. So that wasn't my objection. My objection was to whether or not we can reasonably have confidence in Jesus performing miracles or being born of a virgin or any of the actions, or even that we have a good record of what he said. And I don't see that we have a reasonable expectation that the events purported in Jesus' life actually occurred, especially when you have authors like Matthew suggest suggesting that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, including invented prophecies, or at least one that can't, hasn't been identified. Um, you listed off Tertullian and a bunch of others, but those aren't contemporaries. They are not eyewitnesses. They are people recording um, reports after the event. Now, it's true. I agree that the, pro that the Old Testament was written prior to Jesus uh, or, or the time of Jesus. Um, and that's really cool because a prophecy clearly has to be in place before the thing that fulfills it. If you write the prophecy afterwards, well, that would be cheating. Now, on the, on, the, on the subject of prophecies coming before, it only counts if somebody says this is a known prophecy before the event that comes in. You can't go and say, oh, here's an event and here's a passage back in the Old Testament that I can make fit this. And so now I'm going to call this a prophecy, which is why Jews have a different view of what counts as prophecy in the Old Testament with regard to Messiah than Christians do, because Jews are have a forward-looking perspective on this. They have a model of what they have been taught to expect out of a Messiah throughout this, and it's consistent. And when those, when those prophecies are met, they will know that they have a true Messiah. Christians, on the other hand, have done this exactly backwards, which is they took what was written about Jesus with no way to demonstrate that it's true, and then went back and looked at what's in the Old Testament to see if they could find things to make it fit. That is massaging a prophecy. With regard to uh, oh, I forgot the, the I, I was waiting for some specific prediction, but some specific fact. Here is a fact that the Old Testament says is going to be about the Messiah. It's, it's a fact that and when I say, oh, this, this was the issue. When I say it can't be subject to interpretation, of course, everything we say 
it goes through a filter in our mind. But Sam, when I did the trick before the show, was there any interpretation about the symbol on this compared to the symbol on this thing? There's no, it's not like, well, you know, if you turn it sideways and you look at it, it could have been two or three other symbols. There were eight symbols on that sheet. I predicted exactly one. It, I could show it to a thousand people who know nothing about the trick and say, point to the two that match. And 100% of them would get that exactly right. That is not true for anything you or any other Christian is has ever or will ever show as prophecy because you have the entire Jewish population that are not Christians saying, no, that's not prophecy. Thank you very much. And want to remind you folks, as we jump into the cross-examinations, if you have not yet, hit that subscribe button as we have many more juicy debates coming up. And with that, gentlemen, thanks so much. Samuel, the first cross-exam is you cross-examining. Matt, for 10 minutes, the floor is yours. All right. Thank you, Matt, for that uh, rebuttal. Now, uh, with regards to, uh, you, you said there seems to be a difference in the way that Christians understand uh, the Old Testament uh, versus how a Jew will understand the Old Testament. Uh, could, could you elaborate, for example, in terms of methodology, where would that differ? And, and oh yeah, and secondly, uh, which Jews are you talking about? Modern day Jews or rabbinic Jews prior to uh, you know, uh, the Masoretic period? I don't know that it makes any difference. There were, there were Jews who had a view about their prophecies that led some portion of the Jews to not accept that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. And some did. A smaller portion did than didn't. And modern Jews still, who, modern Jews who aren't Christians, um, don't hold that Jesus fulfilled the Messianic prophecy, and they view him as a, a, a false prophet. I mean, you, you got to take that up with the Jews. I'm just reporting. If I'm completely wrong, and suddenly the, the, the scholarly experts within Judaism are now proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord, that would be an amazing, like you should have started with that in the debate, but you didn't. Because it's right. not true. Right, yeah. So I'll, I'll just uh, proceed with, with the question. So, uh, uh, yeah, and, and so, uh, yeah, this is something that I would love to discuss. So if you bring this up in uh, the, the cross-examination, when you cross-examine me, that'll be fun to discuss uh, where Jews differ. Uh, but in terms of, let, let's just go back to, so, uh, you know, go back to uh, the text that I brought up. Let's take a common one, a very common one, Isaiah 53, uh, th that I cited in my opening, which I think talks about the Messiah dying. Uh, and do you, do you see that making a prediction of the Messiah dying or as a Christian, am I misinterpreting that somehow? Uh, what, what in there talks about the Messiah? Uh, yeah, you can ask me that in my cross-examination, but my, my, my oh, question- Oh, okay, is, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I'm, I was looking at this that. as just a discussion. So, what's your specific oh, oh, okay, question yeah, I mean, for me? Okay, yeah. In, the, in that case, uh, uh, yeah, uh, my, I mean, if, if you uh, if you're doing this in a discussion, I'm fine to change that. Yeah, no, I was just under the impression. I, I don't care. I just want to make sure I'm doing whatever you want. So, what what's your specific question that you want to know about me from Isaiah 53? Yeah. Uh, so, in Isaiah 53, uh, wait, am I misinterpreting it? Do you, do you, how am I misinterpreting it if I say that that's referring to the Messiah dying? Is there is there a reason why I I may be misinterpreting it in your view? I don't see anything in there in the original Hebrew that mentions a Messiah. This right. could okay. be this could be about any any individual, uh, any prophet for the Lord, anybody working for the Lord. And there's not I don't see anything in the original Hebrew there that says anything about the Messiah. All right. So let's let's go through uh, this passage, Isaiah 53. Uh, uh, we talk about God's way. I mean, we we begin in verse one. 
which talks about the arm of the Lord. So I, in my opening statement, I tied it to uh, the arm of the Lord, uh, for example, being mentioned in redemption in Exodus 6.6. 6. Uh, would that be, a, for example, would that be fair to say that God says his means of redemption is his arm? And it here is talking about the way in which God redeems. I'm drawing the two connections in the Old Testament. Uh, is that a fair interpretation uh, in your view? I'm sorry, I couldn't understand you. One more time. Don't 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 waste any of your time. But go ahead. Oh no problem. In in uh, in 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 Exodus chapter six verse six, uh, you know, God says He will redeem with His arm. And Isaiah fifty three is talking about a suffering servant. I'm sure we agree that it's talking about someone who is suffering. Uh, that's going to provide blessing for uh, the nations around Israel as well. You, you would agree to that, right? No. No. Okay. Uh, so is is who is the one suffering in in your view? I don't I know. It's not specific enough. That's the problem. That's why people are able to interpret it in different ways. If you want to have a messianic prophecy, it needs to be clearly stated that this is a messianic prophecy before the event that it's supposed to fulfill. You can't right, go okay. and do it afterwards, which is what you're doing. Right. So, so just to understand your view, you're saying that uh, we, we can't know for sure. It's too vague, uh, even though uh, there's been a trajectory uh, from, from uh, Genesis 3 that someone is going to basically die uh, I, mean, I, I don't agree with your assertion that there's been a trajectory since Genesis 3. I look at the story in Genesis 3 and where God says he's going to put enmity between the, man, the woman and, uh -huh. the, and the serpent. You view that as uh -huh. setting up a messianic prophecy down the line. And I think that's a load of crap that is only done afterwards because what happened is people wanted Jesus to be the Messiah so much that they went back through the Old Testament and found everything they could find to massage it to make it fit. Why isn't Genesis 3 just about Adam and Eve? Um, yeah, again, uh, yeah, I'm happy to answer that uh, in okay. my cross-examination. Yeah, so I just wanted to, then in your view, what does Genesis 3.15 mean? Yeah, granted, you said it's vague. If you are reading Genesis 3 as a Jew, uh, what, what does that mean when it says that I'll create enmity between your, uh, you know, your offspring and the seed of the woman, and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel? What would that mean in that context, given that they've just sinned? I have already answered this. The story is about Adam and Eve and the common trope that women and snakes don't get along. Okay, then you got it. All right. Just, so just like Lot's wife wasn't actually turned into a pillar of salt. All right, sure. Uh, in, in Genesis 22, when Abraham's about to sacrifice his son Isaac, which, which we really, which be, we believe, sorry, something over the words, uh, to be the exact place where Jesus would eventually die, uh, the death of Christ. I don't. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so do you believe that Jesus died then? Uh, in, 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 do you believe that someone can have? Let me rephrase that. Uh, do you believe someone can have sufficient reason to believe that Jesus died? Uh, at least, not not to prove, but to have some level of uh, to whatever extent some to whatever yeah. extent someone can reasonably uh, believe that Jesus existed. Of course, they can believe he died, because that's what happens to people. Right. Uh, could we could we go further then? Do, do you think that there's some evidence not conclusive in your view some evidence suggests that he died by crucifixion in jerusalem There's, the story is that he died by crucifixion but i don't have any reason to believe that the stories about this individual are true okay so let, let me then turn the focus to in uh the the discussion on methodology uh how would one for example if 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 supposing the events and all this did take place let's for the sake of argument grant that the events did take place uh how can we granted we don't have video cameras and there's no the way i'm granting that there's no way I'm granting that. That's absolutely ridiculous. If you grant that everything I said, everything in my holy book is true, then my holy book wins. Well, of course, that's boneheaded. I'm, no, I'm not even convinced that the place of his death, which 
which I would I would put probably as Golgotha. I don't I don't even hold that that's identical to Mount Moriah in the first place. So I don't make that same connection in Isaiah. But also the Isaiah story is horribly flawed in the first place. When you and, say the Isaiah story is flawed, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no reason to test Isaiah other than to teach Isaiah something. And so if you're God and you want to test Isaiah to see if he knows and understands you, and you say, "Hey, go kill your son." Isaiah, and, you're talking about Abraham, right? Yes. Sorry, what did I say? You said Isaiah. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Abraham. <laughs> sorry. Ahead, the, yeah. bind, the in the in so the binding of Isaac. Um, so when the Bible says, uh, you know, uh, your your son, the only your only son, the one you, or the only son whom you love, uh, it's interesting. There's a comma there because it might be the only son whom he loved. It might be the only son that was still at home. Um, we, we don't know. And so you see a bunch reading a bunch into that only son thing, um, only because. Jesus is referred in the case you wouldn't have looked at that story about One Abraham second. and Isaac. interruption Matt just it was a little bit hard I don't know if we got that question the connection ebbed and flowed for a second if you want to just back up oh. one sentence so it it the these you made a big deal about how uh, the passage with Abraham and Isaac says your only son whom you love um, the only reason you care about that is because Jesus was referred to as God's only son. If Jesus hadn't been referred to that way in the New Testament, this passage in the Old Testament would never have been viewed as anything remotely connected to Jesus. There were, sacri- there were plenty of other sacrifices. And meanwhile, if you're God and you're opposed to child killing, when you go to Abraham and you say, hey, I want you to kill your child, if Abraham knows and understands you correctly, the one and only correct answer is, depart from me, foul spirit, for my God would never ask for me to slaughter my kid. What, is, what this thing shows is that God would and did expect a child sacrifice and that Abraham expected God to ask him for or was willing to do a child sacrifice on God's behalf. Uh, and all of it is just absolutely abhorrent, but you can say, this is, we are pattern-seeking machines. And so once people see Jesus and the story, they go back through the Old Testament and say, oh, look, it's similar to that, it's similar to that, it's similar to that, it's similar to that. Yes, because these are all passionate stories about human beings and our character and heroic things. And Joseph Campbell goes through this in the in the uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces. Okay, uh, you know what? I'm going to yield the rest of my time, um, and uh, yeah, we can go to Matt. You got uh, it. We'll switch it over for Matt yeah. to ask questions to Samuel. And so setting the timer and... By the way, I want to give you guys positive feedback from the Twitch live stream. Corvi Sevenus says, gotta say I'm loving the extremely respectful back and forth so far. So thanks for that feedback. I really wish Sam would just start calling me names so we could get it over with. (laughs) That's right. The floor (laughs) is all yours, Matt. Uh, Okay, so I'm wondering what you think is the most specific prophecy that was fulfilled by Jesus. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Uh, for, so, just just for context, I think that we can't take any of those prophecies out of their context. I think the Old Testament, as a whole, uh, you know, make a unified projection uh, concerning Jesus, right from Genesis all the way to Malachi. Uh, and so, to to rip one prophecy, if you take, for example, what we just did, Isaiah fifty three, out of its context, Isaiah fifty three has no standing. It's just talking about a guy who is is, is going to die and who's going to bring about blessing uh, for the nations. But if you see it in the context of Genesis, where the sin, the fall, uh, and and the promise of covenant redemption and that coming. It makes sense. And that's that's why I think that I will not be able to pinpoint exactly one. I think they come in, in the entirety, the unit of the Old Testament itself. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that's the problem. And I don't know how we move on from here. 
because without a specific prediction, all you have is fuzzy, warm feelings of the context. And, oh, if you, got, if you look at it this, with this and that, and then you have this, and you look at this over here, and then this and this, oh, my gosh, it's just so overwhelming. There's just so many prophecies. And yet, could anybody name one specific prophecy that was necessarily answered by Jesus? Well, I think I think this. Uh, I think maybe I, I was not clear in my in my first answer, Matt. But what I was trying to say was that no, I think there are many prophecies that are specific. But what I'm saying is, when you take name one, apart, name one. If you think there are many prophecies that are specific, name one. Uh, Isaiah 53, Genesis 22. I've, I've named them in my opening statement. You but haven't named is, them. What is the prophecy? Uh, yeah, I was getting to that, Matt. Uh, so what I was saying is that all of these prophecies come in the context of the rest of scripture. And when you take them and it's like basically taking a word, what is the strongest word in this sentence? It doesn't work. The sentence comes as a unit, right? I'm sorry, but your analogy is flawed. A prediction is a single prophetic statement, period. You don't have to take it down to the point of words. I did a magic trick before here that made a prediction that was specific, that wasn't prone to any interpretation. Why can I do better tricks than your God? Uh, well, in, 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 in essentially, God is not doing magic tricks. He's making a covenant promise. You don't once, know that. Try, I don't know that. I think, Matt, I think I do know that. You don't uh, know whether or not I did a magic trick or whether or not I actually made a prediction with supernatural powers. Actually, I did because you told me you were going to do a magic trick. So yes, I'm taking but you for your was word. I telling you the truth? How did I do it then? How did I know I, what you were going to do? I'm going to take you at your word as I take the scripture at its word unless there's any There's your mistake. Of, That's why you've been fooled twice today. Uh, well, I'll, I'll I, I don't have any that. other questions. Uh, if we can't get to one specific prophecy, this entire thing is a waste of time. I I've because given, if it's just uh, your case now becomes you believe the Bible and I don't. Uh, well, absolutely, exactly. Congratulations. And, and, and under that, Harry Potter fulfilled prophecy, and you know I I don't know what to do if I can't get a single prophecy that we can assess. Because if somebody were up for the James Randi Education Foundation's million dollar prize this would not even get them in the door. And yet you're right. talking about prophecies from God, supposedly. This would not even pass a preliminary test. You have not even established a criteria by which we could establish that a prophecy existed and had been fulfilled. To, yeah, usually really, the cross-exam, to be fair, uh, let's see, if we are able to kind of keep it into the questions, that's probably more ideal. That, that okay, I have no more questions because the one question I okay, had, the we'll one that would have solved section. everything, Thank you. refused to so be answered. Matt has given up the rest of his six minutes. So Samuel, you can ask Matt for 10 minutes. The floor is all yours. Um, no, I think I think that in, in a sense, um, it, it, I think it's kind of the same with me as well because every question that I'm asking Matt, he's saying that I don't have an interpretation for this. Correct me, Matt, if I'm misinterpreting you, but you said that you know, it doesn't matter what he thinks, you know, it's just too vague, either that or, um, that was kind of what you said, right? So in a sense, I don't think the cross-examination would, would, would the second cross-examination would go anywhere as well. Uh, I think we have a difference in methodology. I think that we can take the historicity of Jesus to be certain. I think we can take the death of Jesus to be certain um, uh, in light of the evidence we have. Well, hold on one sec. Perfect... Same thing for you, yeah. Samuel. I, I, if you guys are yeah. going to if you're if you're not going to ask questions, we could just go into no. open conversation. I'm totally okay with that. If both of you guys are, so I'm, it doesn't I'm have fine. to be in the form of a question. But otherwise, I'm kind of expecting you, Sam, to ask questions to Matt. So. No, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that uh, I I don't think that that's going to go anywhere unless we want to have it. We can okay. have an open conversation if Matt wants to. Yeah, that's fine. I, I'm fine with having conversation, and I know there's people who are going to have questions. And everything. It's just incredibly mm -hmm. frustrating to agree to did Jesus fulfill prophecy when, and I don't mean this 
as, as a snark or insult, but literally. Sorry, Matt, you just Harry froze Potter again. You just, fro you just froze again. I know, I can't do anything about it. Right. Could uh, you repeat yeah. again? Could you repeat what you just said again? Yeah. It's no, it, to say, here's a character in a book. I can't prove any specific thing from his life, but the first part of the, you know, these, the, these other prophecies or these other books that are included in here, they make claims that I view as prophetic of this, but the people who wrote them, we don't know that they viewed those, those passages as prophetic. The people who are the uh, descendants of those people who have been waiting for those prophecies to be fulfilled, don't view those prophecies as prophecies, don't view your interpretation as accurate. And so we're at a point where you say, Jesus in the story fulfilled the prophecy. Jews say he didn't. I say, I don't see how you can say he did anything. Like, did Jesus walk on water? Did Jesus poop? I think if Jesus existed, he probably pooped, but I don't think he walked on water unless it was frozen. Right. I, I think the, the difference between what I'm saying and what you're saying, Matt, is that I think that the Old Testament needs to be, and by the way, um, uh, James, just to be clear, this is kind of an open discussion until we want to go for uh, Q&A, uh, you know, but I, I think that's until... Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're open for open discussion for maybe like 25 more minutes. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, what I was saying, Matt, is that we have a difference of, and I believe that whenever words are written, they're meant to be written, they're meant to be interpreted. I'm just having a difference of interpretation than a Jew reading that passage. And I'm saying that if interpreted X way, my way, then we can see that it fulfills the life of Jesus. That's what a you tautology. Saying, let, let, let me finish. Uh, let me finish. That's that, a Matt. tautology. Uh, Matt, let me, please let me finish. Uh, uh, so what I was saying is that if it's interpreted in this way, it can do that. And I'm thinking this is, and I'm not just saying that, I'm saying that this is the way it is meant to be interpreted by the original authors. How do and, you prove and, that? And, and, Oh yeah, by, by, by context, I was just going to finish one point, Matt, and then I'll, 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 I'll answer the question on how we can prove that. The Jews that disagree with me also have their own interpretation. They have a difference of interpretation. I, I mean, we can discuss that, but once, and that's one of the reasons in the cross-examination, I was kind of trying to get what was your interpretation of that. So that at least if you're disagreeing with me on interpretation, we can have a discussion as to what the text means. But if we can't engage and discuss what does that passage mean, we can't even begin to ask the question of whether Jesus fulfilled that. But did you want me to answer your question on, uh, I, I think you did say something that I said I'll answer. Kind of forgot it. Just now. How do you prove the original intent? Because the oh, Jews yeah, but, disagree with you on the original intent. Clearly, I mean, I think people may disagree with all sorts of things. Uh, but I think the way we prove uh, original intent is by looking at, first of all, the historical context, the cultural context, and the literary context. Uh, and I, that's what I've been trying to do, uh, to look at the, the context in which it was written, uh, both cultural, historical, and literary. I think that way, that's how we interpret, I think, every piece of literature. Uh, okay, if you want to, this isn't about interpreting liter literature. So let's stop that pretense. If you want to just is. say the Bible's literature then I'm fine with that. The Bible's literature. And now there is no prophecy because literature doesn't have prophecy. No, I think, I think Matt, that, I mean, anything that is written, I'm considering it to be literature, regardless of whether it's inspired by the Okay, Holy that's Spirit not what not. literature means. If you don't know what literature means, all right, I, I, I don't know what to do because now, so you've argued tautologies. You've said basically that if we interpret the Bible the way you interpret the Bible, you're right. Well, duh, big freaking deal. If we interpret the way the Bible the way the Jews interpret it, you're wrong. If we interpret it the way I do it, you're both wrong. Right. And so, and, and so at the end of the day, I believe that the authors, the original authors had an original intent 
And we can look at that intent and uh, see whether, for example, my, my interpretation is accurate or the Jews' interpretation is accurate. And I should add, I should add that it's my understanding that the Jewish interpretation has not been the same. That's why I asked you whether you're holding to a rabbinic view of interpretation, which is precedes the, the, the later time, when after Jesus, do you have a different school of thought right after that, which is kind of responding uh, to the claims that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, so if you have, for example, uh, it's my understanding that the, the, uh, the, Talmud, the Talmudic writings, uh, or, or rather the, the, the rabbinic writings preceding Jesus believe that those passages were Messianic. That, that's my understanding. And I, and I don't pretend to be able to pull the sauce out now and give it to you. My thing is, I so if we're going to have a discussion about whether or not Jesus fulfilled prophecy, we should have a prophecy and then a demonstration that Jesus actually fulfilled it. And when I say that, I don't just mean, here's a passage in the Old Testament that I view as prophetic, and here's a passage in the New Testament that I view as fulfilling it. We need to actually demonstrate that this happened, actually happened, and that it fulfills that prophecy. And you can't seem to do either part of it. Uh, no, I, I, I'll disagree with the way you, you, you phrased that. So what I'll say is that what I try to do is to get to the Old Testament to say, first of all, there is a prediction being made. And I'm trying to establish that, that it's coming in the context of human sin. It is talking about the forgiveness of sins. It's talking about how that will come, the means to which it will come. And then I want to get to the second part, which is showing that Jesus did do that. And, and I was actually planning to touch on things that I thought most, most of us would agree on. Jesus died uh, and, and all that. Uh, but the thing is that uh, when we can't agree as to whether the Old Testament is at all making that prediction, Matt, we can't even begin to discuss whether or not Jesus fulfilled that. Agreed, which was yes. my entire opening, which I wrote before this, because I knew you couldn't. Otherwise, there wouldn't still be Jews. I mean, do you believe that, you know, for example, we can disagree on interpret that you could write something, Matt, and that you could have later, you know, maybe 50 years after you and I are gone, people could disagree as to what you, uh, you meant when you wrote that. I think people can, right? But that doesn't mean that you did not have an original intention in writing that. Would you at least if they that? disagree, that doesn't mean that they have any way of knowing what my original intention was. You're convinced you know what the original intention wait, was. Wait, wait a minute, just, just to be clear. You don't believe that, you know, if let's say there is hypothetically a disagreement about a piece of writing that you wrote, that if there is a disagreement, no one can know for sure what you meant. Is that is that really your position? Or that someone nobody can, can I don't think anybody can know anything for sure. So yes, of course it's my position that nobody okay. can know for okay. sure what I meant. Th but it may be, that. but maybe, but maybe someone can have a reasonable understanding of what I meant. But they can demonstrate that and make the case. Just like when I did this trick, if I do this trick to for a thousand people over a thousand years, there will be zero worry about point to the two symbols that match. That would happen every time. Why can I do better fucking things than your God can? Yeah, I think uh, equating symbols in a visual setting, which clearly you and I are visual, uh, doing things with regards to the way in I, which I didn't limit it to symbol. I just happened to do. I'm sorry, Matt. You froze again. Um, Prophecy. Yeah, I think you just froze again. It's okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm yeah. probably under a DNS attack or something because, well, actually, my YouTube hasn't stopped at all, and I've got gigabit internet here, so who knows what's going on? Right. I apologize for something hey. I can't fix and don't know about. No problem. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm done. Uh, you know, if we, we, I mean, unless Matt wants to ask me anything, uh, we can go ahead. <laughs> I really don't. This whole thing boils down to, can someone, anyone on the planet present a specific prediction that was clearly made and known to be a prediction about a Messiah before the events that was clearly answered by Jesus? And the answer seems to be no. Uh, 
again, I, I, I know you think you've done that, but I, you I, haven't. I, I'm just wondering what, like, what do you do with all the passages that I did in the opening statement? What, what do you say to that? It's not specific enough. Is that what you're going to say to that? Correct. Okay. That's fine. Uh, we, we, we disagree then on that. You, yeah. you went there. So none of them. So a prediction shouldn't be. And some, and I mean, these, by the way, these things are sometimes written in the present tense and you have to ch There's two guys talking in Hosea about a Lord that they're going to go visit to get healed. And you want to interpret that as the foundation for, what was it? Is it Luke 21, 46? Uh, so something written in the present tense in Hosea, you want to interpret as if it's a prophecy being fulfilled. And that's just uh, nonsense. Um, I'm not, which passage in Hosea are you referring to? Uh, well, wasn't it the Luke 21, 46 that you were referencing? Uh, no. Uh, oh, you mean the, the first passage I referenced? Or is it, is it Luke 20? Hang on. The first passage I referenced was Luke 44 was 44 to 48. It's Luke yeah. 24 was 44 but, to 48. Yeah. Okay. Hang on. Yeah. Luke 24. 44 to 48. Yeah. And so let me go to 46. Do do do. Luke 24, 46, sorry, it was 24, not 21. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Where is that written? That passage there? Where is it written in the Old Testament? Because generally people point to Hosea. I've, I've, I've never had anyone point to Hosea for that. So Hosea chapter six for the first three verses. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord and let us press on to acknowledge him. That is the stereotypical passage that Christian apologists have used to point to uh, either either for Luke 21, 24, 46, or, or maybe it's the Matthew 2, 23 one. Uh, yeah, so I've, I would never, I've never in my life used that passage to prove that passage uh, or, or to use that as a, a prophecy. You know? So I, I, okay. uh, I I'm, I'm, when I talk about the death of Christ, I'm looking through, for example, uh, Genesis uh, uh, 3.15. I'm looking at the passages, which basically the entirety of the Old Testament, Matt, uh, is talking about the, the, the death of the, the blood of the lamb as a means of forgiveness of sins. Only uh, in your eyes, the entirety of the Old Testament to Jews is their mm -hmm. history, and it's a comedy of errors about God trying to tell the trying to make the world right, and it goes wrong, and He tries to make the world right, and it goes wrong, and everybody disobeys, and He stops trying to save the whole world, and then He picks out one tribe that becomes His chosen tribe, but they screw it up too, over and over and over again, and then everything just kind of halts, and boom, here's Jesus to save everybody, except that He's only come uh, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You can go back and look at that as a Christian and say, wow, the Old Testament, all of this points to Jesus. And you know what? It's utterly unconvincing to anybody who doesn't already believe it, because that's not what the Jews look at it. Right. So I, I think when you when you say, for example, that it's unconvincing to people who already believe it, I think that's, that's clearly wrong. And it's not true, uh, because, you know, there have been so many Jews who uh, once, uh, you know, that have been that have been converted by basically just looking through uh, those, those passages and coming to that. So I, I, okay, again, there's a lot of people maybe, who aren't maybe, all that maybe, who aren't all that maybe, skeptical. Maybe, maybe you're speaking hypothetically, right? No one would be convinced. But I mean, 
I know people that have been convinced. No one should be convinced. Anybody. So I can do a magic trick right now that is better than anything specific prophecy you're getting. I should get more praise and credit for being godlike than anything written in your holy book. But, but wait a minute. When you say better, what are you basing that off? Like, how, how, what's your standard? I can make a specific prediction and have it come through without interpretation. I did it before we started. Yes, yes. And it proves that you made a prediction and came to pass. But again, what's, I mean, I don't, I don't get the... It's more than you've demonstrated with regard to Jesus and prophecy tonight by a long shot. Uh, okay, so uh, again, I, I think that as far as I'm concerned, I'm done because I think that uh, okay. the passages that uh, I proved, I mean, I, I shared rather, <laughs> uh, it's intended to communicate that God was trying to do something. Uh, was Jesus it, gay? No, definitely not. How do, how do you know that? It talks about a disciple that Jesus loved who laid his bosom on the Lord, who Jesus introduced to his mother as a son. How do you know Jesus wasn't gay? Uh, well, that's because that goes back to exactly what I was telling you about uh, in terms of looking at historical cultural context. It, the brotherly love, philia, uh, you know, was something that was just common uh, between men of that time. I've been to India, uh, and I'm not, although I'm not from India, uh, the, you know, in India, when you go, people hold each other's hands, guys hold each other's hands, and they walk, and there's no one even thinks of it uh, being remotely, you know, homosexual in nature or anything like that. It's just a culture, cultural thing. In fact, you have David and Jonathan uh, that were basically pretty close, you know, and and kind of, you know, in the same thing. They're not gay as well, uh, you know. So, you know, th this is just, uh, uh, you know, misinterpreting it in light of our culture. And I think that that's why, for example, we need to go back to the historical cultural context precisely because of that. Okay. Yeah, I think the text. I think the text more strongly and clearly identifies Jesus as gay than any pro prophecy thing that you've come close to. That's more specific than anything you offered. Yeah, but, I, I find that really strange because uh, that that's clearly nowhere intended in the text. I think Jesus was a Jew, and Jews believed that it was sexual immorality in light of Leviticus. Uh, to suggest that that was what was happening, I think, would be to to rip. Uh, but Jesus changed other things, that, and this is the reason why they crucified him. He was he changed God's unchangeable law. That's why they killed him. How do okay. you know one of those wasn't just being gay? Okay, pick one. Uh, you said that Jesus changed the law. Could you pick one? Oh, basically, the vast majority of the 613 mitzvot that were practiced and uh, that were required elements of the law that Jesus now came to fulfill, and Jesus fulfills and eliminates the sacrificial law. Uh, could, so you your one. Me, could you point me to a passage in the New Testament that says that? And then we can look at that together. Yeah. Uh, not off the top of my head, no, because I didn't come here to debate that particular topic. But you don't think I'm right? No. You don't think that Jesus said specifically that he came to fulfill the law and that the oh, yeah, sacrificial he, he, law, and that the sacrificial laws have gone away since then? So Jesus never said that the sacrificial laws have gone away. Did uh, they go said, away? And yes, they did. And and yes, wasn't did. it Jesus that said you don't need to do this anymore? Uh, so that's why I'm asking you. If you could show me a place, then I can look at that. In my understanding, I don't came to. I, I don't see anywhere where Jesus. So when was your last sacrifice? When was your last sacrifice? Oh, I don't do it because of Paul's writings, uh, Matt, and it's got nothing to do with. So the thing is that I think what we are saying here is the argument that you are trying to make that I understand is that because Jesus changed the law. Jesus was going against it. I don't think Jesus changed the law. On the contrary, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually says, I did not come, do not think that I've come uh, to, to change the law. Let me get the passage for you. Do uh, not think Matthew that I've come to, to, to change the law, but to fulfill it, which is I want, interpreted I want as... To get, 
Not a jot or tittle of the law will change. But none of this is relevant to prophecy, I, so I do not, we can do move not on. I came to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And yeah, so I, I think that Jesus would say the exact opposite, uh, Matt. I think he would, he huh? Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's... I, I, th I thought my whole point was that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the sacrificial laws stopped applying then. So when you say that Jesus came to fulfill the law, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm responding to your original point, Matt, when you say that, uh, you know, that Jesus came to fulfill the law, he did not come to break the law. When you brought up the, the practice of homosexuality, you're assuming that Jesus broke the law. I'm saying Jesus did not come to break the law, but to fulfill the law. And by fulfilling the law, as far as Christians are concerned, Christ has fulfilled the law on our behalf, as far as the sacrificial laws. What did I Jews think about it? Uh, depending on which Jews, Matt, you're talking about. Are you talking about Messianic Jews? Are you talking about Rabbinic Jews, liberal Jews? Which one are you talking about? Uh, let's go with Orthodox Jews. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not familiar with Orthodox Judaism today. Okay. Well, anyway, none of this is relevant to prophecy, so we can move on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess we can move to the, to the Q&A, uh, James. Yeah. We will jump into the Q&A. So thanks, everybody. Want to... Say, we appreciate all of your questions, and just because we are trying to make sure that the Q&A doesn't take up a disproportionate amount of our time, we're asking Super Chats, $10 or more, will be read, and we ask for serious questions only, as we really do want the show to be the highest quality as possible for listeners. Bill Levine, thanks for your question, says, please demonstrate the prophecy fulfilled by Jesus that you think has the most evidence to support it, and please give the evidence. And Modern Day Debate is awesome. Thank you for your kind words, Bill. And I think that one's for you, Sam. Yeah, again, to go back to what I said in my opening statement, I gave a list. If you want me to pick one, Isaiah 53, uh, I think, for example, talks about the suffering servant whose death brings about uh, blessings for the nations. I think that's one of the clearest prophecies. I think that any... Uh, anyone who, who looks at the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, you know, which is, again, not a disputed fact uh, among historians. Uh, it's, it, it's some dispute, but it's not a major dispute among historians. I think the vast majority of critical uh, New Testament critics would accept that. Uh, would, would, when you look at that passage that talks about the Messiah wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, uh, the punishment, you know, that, that for our sins, uh, you know, the punishment that he suffers brings us peace and by his wounds we are healed. Uh, that to me is one of those prophecies that shows that a Messiah must come and a Messiah must die. And I know of no other ones, no other claimants who say to be a, a Messiah who came to die for the sins of the world, uh, apart from Jesus. So that would be one. Uh, and I, I would think that the way, when you talk about, for example, being clear uh, in prophecy, the way you gain clarity is by looking at it in the context of all of what the scripture says. When you rip it out of its context, it really has no value at all because you're missing the big picture of where this context or where this passage is coming from. And I think that was the point I was trying to get. Uh, and that's why I think using, like, bring your strongest prophecy, I think it's not the best way to look at it. Next up, question from James McGran for Samuel said, surely if God is inspiring a book and made future predictions, they'd be incredible and specific. Give us the explanation of gravity, creation, evolution, or dark matter as examples they're saying uh, i didn't quite get that question so they're saying again? they think that if they're saying quote surely if god is inspiring a book and made future predictions they would be incredible and specific predictions such as giving us the explanation of gravity or creation or evolution or dark matter again i think that i i would fully agree that there is incredible and specific predictions 
but it becomes incredible and specific when read in its context, not taken in isolation. And to basically bring it to you know evolution, dark matter, and all that is basically trying to uh, you know make the shot and then draw your target around it. Uh, we 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 basically take what God has revealed covenantally and interpret uh, basically the life of Jesus in light of that, which is why I really began with the Old Testament and tried to establish that. To me, it's incredible. To me, it's specific. Uh, but when you're when you're looking at it without the context, that's one of the reasons why in the cross-examination, I wanted to spend time wondering what was Matt's interpretation of that, so that at least we could have a discussion uh, on interpretation. Uh, I think when you when you look at that and you 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 be able to look through the authorial intent, uh, it becomes incredible. It becomes specific, uh, taken uh, the entire Old Testament. And if anybody came forward with a prediction that vague, claiming that that had been fulfilled right now, they would be laughed out of the room. It would not qualify for the JRF Million Dollar Prize. It would not qualify in a courtroom. It wouldn't qualify anywhere. It only qualifies to the people who believe that they are looking at the inspired word of God and desperate to find a way to make it fit, which is why when we ask for specifics, oh, no, no, it's all about context. It's all about context. Well, any God that is smarter than me could make a very specific prophecy answerable by a single set of circumstances with not with subject to no interpretation. And that has not happened. Can I, can I respond to that briefly? Or do you want to go to the next question? If you want to very briefly. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that God can Matt. I don't de deny that God can. I just think that God did what he did. And we're just discussing what God did, whether he did. No, we're discussing what you think God did. I don't think there's a God who's ever done anything. And you're making excuses for the God that hasn't done anything. Right. And, and on, my, on my view, I think you're, you're imposing your plausibility framework uh, on what, for example, is or. Whoa, know, whoa, 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 whoa. What's a plausibility framework and how the hell do you think I have a plausibility framework? I think that, for example, that when you when you look at certain things and say it has to meet my criteria, that is a plausibility framework. I think all this of this is us not do my have... criteria alone. Okay, I'm talking about the criteria, the criteria of skepticism in science, of logical investigation of evidence, of okay. making sure that something is specific in its prediction so that it cannot be subject to interpretation so that you are less likely to be wrong. Okay, how specific, uh, I mean, sorry, Matt, do you want to move on? Uh, sorry, uh, uh, James, did you want to move on? Because, I mean, clearly we disagree on criteria here. And um, yeah. We'll jump into the next one. Sydney V, yeah. thanks for your question, says if wishes were, well, let's see, uh, let's see. Okay, looking for more serious questions. But Jay Rivera, 345 says, Matt, just wanted to say thank you for the impact you've had on my life. Hell and fear of the rapture gave me traumatizing nightmares, even though I felt I was a good Christian. They're all gone now that I'm atheist. Keep it up. Thank you. Next up, B16 Street Burner says Samuel, for a collection of books like the Bible to say something that has been proven to be false, like, quote, rabbits chew the cud in Leviticus 11, how can it be rational to believe it's true and reliable? Again, I need to look at the context of Leviticus 11. It's not something that I've looked at. Uh, and when I've looked at, I'll respond to that. Yeah. Gotcha. And this one coming in from Becker P. Thanks for your question. Said Sam, if biblical prophecy can be interpreted, then how is the Bible any different from Rasputin and a newspaper's daily horoscope? They all involve vague statements that can be quote unquote fulfilled in many ways. 
Right. So the, there are two differences that I'll point to. First of all, just to be clear, I'm going to repeat myself again. Every piece of writing is subject to interpretation. Uh, you, you can't basically come and say there is any piece of writing that basically would mean the same thing uh, given a, if a thousand people read it. Everyone who reads anything, whether you read it on Facebook or whether you read it on Twitter, you are making an interpretive jump. Uh, the are, all, are all texts equally ambiguous? Uh, no. Then clearly... Some are more prone to confusion and context interpretation than others. For example, yes. a mathematical formula with a treatise below it that describes it in great detail would be much clearer to every user than Isaiah 53, right? No, and, and, and that's what I, I mean. Yeah, in terms of wow. using mathematical, no, hang on, Matt, hang on. You just uh, said no. No, hang on, hang on, hang on a minute. Yeah, so what I'll say is that, for example, if you're talking about a mathematical formula, sure, I'll grant that. But what I'm saying is, well, I, I'll, I probably shouldn't have started out by saying no, because okay, so I'll take that probably, back. Probably, but I'll listen. I'll take that back, okay? So what I would say is that uh, when you look through the context uh, of that, to me, it is clear, and I think to the audience in which they received, the original audience that received it, it's clear. But bear in mind, when we say all of this, we're looking through a piece of literature that was written thousands of years ago. It, it meant something to the original audience. You and I cannot expect- Whose fault is uh, that? Uh, it's not Matt, my fault. Gonna, it's God's fault. Let me finish, Matt. Please let me finish that. Uh, yeah. So uh, when when it, when it's written to an audience more than a thousand years, two thousand years ago, you've got, before you make an interpretive jump, you're going to have to understand what it meant to the original audience and basically make the make the jump as to what it means for us today. You can't basically assume it is written for 21st century Christians. And yes, God did that, uh, and I don't think it is God's fault. He has every right to choose. God did it, and uh, it's not God, his fault. No, God, it's not God his fault. selectively reveals stuff at points in time that will be confusing to people in the future, but those people in the future are going to be judged based on their ability to understand it. And it's not God's fault? Whose fault no, is it? It's not God's fault at all. Whose fault God is has it? The, uh, no, it's not God's fault at all. Whose uh, fault is it? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's human beings' fault. Okay. Being sinful, I think our sinful right. nature uh, blinds us. I think you I have think... sacrificed your humanity and your intellect on a fire to a god. Because if none of us had any say in when it was revealed and how it was revealed, and God is the only one who had any say in when it was revealed and how it was revealed, it's not cannot be anybody's fault other than God's. And for you to blame it on human beings just shows the depravity of how far backward you are willing to bend over to make excuses for that book. Uh, again, I, I think I would disagree with Matt on, on basically when he says that, you know, that it's wrong to uh, blame humanity. I think humanity is sinful. I think humanity is in their own sinfulness, twist things. Uh, and I think that's the entire argument of Romans 1, that although the words, the ways of God are clear, uh, we in our sinfulness twisted. Now, clearly Matt and I approach this from a different worldview. If the ways and of I'm, God were clear, we wouldn't be here having this conversation, would we? Uh, no, Matt. I think to be to be fair, you've said that even if God wrote, you know, even if God did an extraordinary miracle, I forgot which one it is in one of your previous debates. You said even if there was an extraordinary miracle, you would not believe it. That's that's what you. That's said, not right? what I said. What I said is that I would not necessarily believe it was God. I would believe whatever it was I witnessed and whatever the evidence was for it. However, in your model where a God chooses to reveal things, how can it possibly be my fault if He hasn't revealed Himself to me? So, so wait a minute. You just said that. No matter, how, for example, you would believe you wouldn't believe it was from God, even though it was extraordinary. 
Why then would you blame God for not? For, because for the fact that something is extraordinary doesn't mean it's from God. You have to demonstrate an actual connection between the thing and God. How do I tell the difference between something a God did and something an advanced technology did? Until that time is, is actually demonstrated, here, here's a God and this God did this. It's not justified to believe that because this happened, you're correct in inferring that it was a God. Yeah, Meanwhile, back to the question that I asked, which was, how could it be my fault if God chooses whether or not he's going to reveal something to me? Yeah, because regardless of the amount of evidence you have, Matt, you will not believe by your own no, no, sir. No, sir. No, sir. You do not get to accuse me of that. That is a bald fucking lie. When presented yeah, with evidence, when, when presented, on, when pre yeah. no, no, I'm not done talking. Yeah. When presented with sufficient evidence, I'm willing to believe anything. You do not get to say that I will refuse to believe anything when it's presented by evidence. In response to my question, if God chooses whether or not he reveals something to me, how can that be my fault? Revealing is not the same as having evidence demonstrating it. How can it be my fault? I'm, I'm, I'm done with this discussion, James. Yeah. I'm done with all of this. Let's go to the next question. Yeah, That's right. the most dishonest so, bullshit. What we'll do is, I think what we'll Matt's do... Matt's just closed-minded. Right, he won't Matt, believe so, anything. That's absolutely... I, what I'm going to do is... Matt, I'm, I'm trying to get this back on track. Okay. Yep. So, uh, I don't know if you... I didn't even mute you on... I muted, muted myself so that I could keep himself. ranting at Sam's absolutely vile right, character so attack on me. What we'll do is we're going to try to get through the rest of these questions. And so if you're willing to bear with Sam, um, I'd be grateful. I know that it's... I'm willing to, yeah. It's rough and tumble, but... Yeah, maybe maybe if the question is addressed to me, James, I would prefer uh, that, you know, I get to answer that question. If Matt wants to respond, that's fine. Uh, you know, But I'll prefer if I get a chance to answer the question uh, instead of it going gotcha. another round of cross-examination yeah so we'll jump into this next one this one coming in from and i it is true that due to the amount of questions that we have we we want to ask that if you guys are you guys okay with one person responding to each question that's addressed to them and then we just go to the next question well, I don't know. My character's been attacked, and there's shitheads in your chat right now that are calling me all kinds of names because Sam accused me of refusing to believe things even when sufficient evidence is warranted, which is the opposite of skepticism. That is the opposite of what I've advocated okay, for. So, and he did it while so refusing to answer okay the question that? that I asked. Okay. So, I mean, it is. I do want to ask that folks in the chat. This will be my last modern-day debate. For both of our guests, we do want to ask that you would please respect the guests and also, moderators do want to ask that you would please help out in terms of holding people accountable, regardless of what side they're on, in terms of trying to monitor people that are saying things that they ought not. And so this next question comes up from Don Fullman. says, uh, let's see, my question for Matt, doesn't the Septuagint written 200 years before Christ prove prophecies were predicted before Christ's birth? Well, does it does it prove that prophecies were produced? I've not objected to the notion that prophecies predate Christ. That that's never been the objection. The objection is which prophecies there that predated were known to be prophecies and were actually filled by Jesus, and we haven't been able to get a specific answer. Gotcha. And thanks for your question. This one coming in from Shigawire says, "Love your work, Matt. Keep it up." And thanks to Samuel Nassan for having the debate. As always, James is a pillar of good vibes. Thanks for your kind words, Shigawire. Appreciate your positivity from John B. Xanos Carthage says, let's see, appreciate that. Looking for more of the serious questions. This one coming in says, 
B16 Street Burner says, Samuel, for a collection of books like the Bible to say something that has been proven to be false, like, quote, oh, we got that one. Sorry about that. This one coming in from Amy Newman says, Midnight After Show tonight at Modern Day or uh, YouTube. Well, the link we have put in the description box of this event itself. And so uh, that After Show with Amy is linked below. And our guests are linked below as well, folks. Amy Newman says, question for Samuel, why do the majority of Jews believe that Jesus did not fulfill prophecy? I think part of the reason why many of the Jews believe that Jesus did not fulfill it, uh, I think is because of a misunderstanding of the Old Testament, first and foremost. Uh, and number two, uh, a lot of what became, a lot of what, uh, became Jewish uh, apologetic or rhetoric uh, or polemic against Christianity came after the Messianic period. Uh, which is, you know, following the fall of Jerusalem, uh, you know, in, in AD 70, uh, you know, the Jewish understanding be basically began to move away from interpreting the Old Testament as their predecessors did, and began to move towards basically big polemics against Christianity. Uh, you see glimpses of that in the Babylonian Talmud as well, uh, which was dated to 150 AD. Uh, so I think that Jews today are, in a way, relying on their literature that was written in response to Christianity instead of engaging the text itself. I think that when you have a, an honest Jew who wants to interpret a text, we can, and that doesn't mean that if they're honest, they would agree with me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we can actually get back to what the text mean and actually have a discussion as to what these passages mean. Um, and, and I think that, that, that actually is one of the reasons why Jews don't believe. And I think for most of the part, I think many of the Jews today are relying on their traditions rather than going back to the Old Testament. That's the other main reason. If the Jews were to go back to their scripture and read it for itself instead of relying on their traditions, I think it would be, it would be a lot easier for them to see Christ as the fulfillment of all that was prophesied. Gotcha. This one coming in from Ferran Salas says, Harold Camping was another failed prophet, quote-unquote, but at least his failed prediction was specific, the end of the world. But yet, we are still all here. So Samuel, I uh, give you a chance if you want. I think it's no, I'm not, not going to respond to that. <laughs> gotcha. This one coming in from James Allstair. Hannah says, Matt, what about the prophetic Psalm 22, Isaiah 714, as well as several passages in the Babylonian Talmud view Isaiah 53 as prophetic, as well as Yepheth? Ben Ali, Shimon, Ben, Yo. You, you don't have to keep trying. It doesn't matter. Mom and Maimonides. You know, saying that wrong. You, you don't have to, to keep trying. It, it doesn't matter. So um, the notion that some things were prophetic before Jesus uh, is something that I haven't rejected at all. The issue is whether or not Jesus fulfilled prophecy. What is it? What can we show about Jesus that actually happened that fulfills prophecy? And is it something that is, by the way, extraordinary, like, hey, here's something specific and this is going to happen, and wow, that's incredibly unlikely, or is it something that would have been fulfilled of it? Like, if I say, the United States will have a woman president, is that a prophecy? Because it seems like it's something that's going to be inevitable. And if you say that eventually someone will suffer and their suffering will bring about a better world for people, isn't that going to be true over and over and over again? So... It's not like it's not like there's this, a, a Jesus person was the only person who ever suffered uh, and had people benefit from it. It's not even the only person that, for that you know that, that that's happened within the doctrine. Um, so yeah, I mean you can point 
what we need is something that's specific, that is answerable by a single specific occurrence. Or you can have a whole bunch of things that are pretty close to specific answerable by this, but you don't have either one of those. Next up, Will Stewart says, Matt, if we can be sure of nothing, then it is futile to assume anything. Therefore, Mm. isn't your assumption that Jesus didn't fulfill prophecy equally as invalid as the belief that he does? Uh, So can you read the first sentence of that again and then stop when I stop? Sure. They said, Matt, if we can be sure of nothing, then it it is futile to assume anything. I agree. Stop. I'm not assuming. That, that's my point. I'm not assuming. So first of all, the fact that we don't have absolute certainty doesn't mean that we don't have reasonable confidence. That this notion that we can't be absolutely certain is a purely philosophical one that means you can't have a measurement that is more accurate than the tool that you're measuring with. And if we cannot prove that reason is absolute, which we can't, it's just we have no reason to think it's not absolute, but we can't demonstrate that it's absolute, then we can only be as confident as reason permits. And if reason doesn't permit certainty, then what we have is maximal confidence. And so what we should always be striving for, and this is the principle of skepticism, is to proportion your level of confidence in a position with the evidence for it. And so if there's kind of good evidence, maybe you're 60% confident. If there's really good evidence, maybe you're 98% confident. If you don't see any way it could possibly be wrong, maybe you're 99.9999999999% confident. This is only a strict philosophical notion that we cannot be absolutely certain. That doesn't mean that we can't have justified confidence levels and be more confident about something than something else. I can be, and, and Sam doesn't disagree with this. This was the whole thing of the difference between two predictions, the difference between two texts, um, a math text and Isaiah 53. Your confidence level in what they mean is proportional to the clarity and the evidence for them. And so we should be less confident in something like Isaiah 53 than we are in 2 plus 2 equals 4. This question coming in from EndoXD. Thanks for your question. Said, Matt, what are your thoughts on, can I read this, on Hosea 6.2 and why does that not count as prophecy for Jesus rising the third day, as said in Luke. Love your Wait. work, Matt. By the way, never stop. Thanks. Oh, you mean the passage that I was referring to to, to as a reference for for Luke twenty four forty six that Sam said he'd never heard and wouldn't use? Um, I already covered it, but yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that Sam and everybody else take a look at that because for Luke twenty four forty six, Hosea six verses one through three or whatever, is what is quite often pointed to as the prophetic Old Testament thing for that. Um, yeah, I, I don't see how it actually applies other than, hey, let's we'll be fine in three days is kind of what the story is. Gotcha. And good day to you, sir, says Samuel, Jesus, and is not, I can't, it's hard to make that out. Um Jeremy Pace says, didn't Jesus eliminate the dietary law by saying it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Jesus basically said that it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean, but what comes out of him uh, that makes him unclean. Uh, And the text says, in doing so, he declared all food to be clean. Uh, Yes, uh, Jesus did eliminate the dietary laws by saying that. Uh, and I, th- I was looking for that that passage to be brought up, actually. Um, that's, uh, so, yes, uh, Jesus did do eliminate the dietary laws. And now I think if you want to go even further into the theology of why the dietary laws 
uh, were there. It's my understanding that uh, the dietary laws were there to distinguish that which was clean and unclean. And this is, forms part of the ritual purification of the in the Old Testament, uh, which is that, um, yeah, which is which is basically that, uh, you know, that the things that are unclean can contaminate us. And that in light of Christ coming, all these things exist to point people to him. And then when he purifies all these things, he makes pure. That just ties forward to the vision where Peter has in Acts chapter 9, or was it 10, uh, where he's seen this vision uh, that basically he's seen un- the food that the Jew would consider unclean. He's told to go ahead and eat. Um, and basically, uh, Peter says, I've never touched anything unclean. And the, the voice says back to him, don't call unclean what God has made clean. It has now been made clean. I think that's the same argument Paul uses in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Uh, where Paul says that uh, do not let anyone pass judgment on you with regards to food or drink. These were a foreshadow, the reality of which is Christ. So I think in that sense, Christ fulfills the dietary laws. Gotcha. Thanks very much. Also, want to remind you, chat. yes, do want to keep it respectful. I would encourage you, folks, if you have, if you want to throw your poop at someone, throw it at me for real. We will not ban you or delete you if you, if you trash me. We have many video comments to, to prove that. And so I do want to let you know, we do want to respect the speakers. They're linked in the description, folks. And so, like I said, if you have insults, things to say, throw them at me. And with that, Ivat, thanks for your question, says, so according to the cultural context, Paul would be, uh, would prefer men, romantically speaking, because he was part of the Roman military and culturally they practiced, uh, home, uh, let's see, they Practice men having relations with men. So Samuel, is it likely that Paul preferred the company of men? No, I think when you look through the entirety of Paul's writings, uh, Romans 1, uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, he clearly condemns homosexuality there, uh, using the Greek word arsenikoitai. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that Paul clearly was not, and I don't know where you get the idea, where, where this person got the idea that Paul was uh, in the Roman military, and that just because of that, that Paul would have done that. I, Paul was a Roman citizen. I don't think there's any text that, to, that I'm aware of uh, that would indicate Paul was part of the Roman military. Gotcha. And thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Gab Marquez says, Looking for more questions related to the debate. No offense, but Mark Reed, uh, let's see. And thanks for your question. By, by the way, somebody suggested I owe James an apology. I, I'd love, I'd like to know what for, but uh, to whatever extent I owe James an apology, it's unreservedly offered. Uh, I haven't been mad at James once through the debate, so I don't know, don't know what I did, but okay. I know that things get heated here, folks, and and uh, but I do want to say. Um, I really appreciate our guests. And I, I one thing I know that is in the chat, I have to be honest, I'm just going to be real with you folks. It bothers me when either side is attacked, you guys. It's just life is too short. I, if anything, if I, if anything comes out of this channel, like one of my biggest values, my hopes is that people, that folks in the chat is that we'd resist like, oh, they, they take that position. They're a Christian. They're an atheist. They're whatever. So I don't like them. And it's like, Please don't. I I feel like there's now a, it's like threats. I feel like somebody saying people are without jobs. Don't lose this source of income because of a chat. You might regret. Gee, it's so weird. The things people, somebody else said they were 74% confident that I don't have any character. It's strange what people in chat decide to say, but anyway, yeah, I, I haven't gotten to look at it. Cause I'm, but I believe you. Um, I want to, so I do want to address that folks is that, you know, 
we're only on this planet for a short time. I think we'd all at least agree on the idea of like, there's something valuable to being able to disagree with someone and, and treat them well. And so we, we ask you in the chat to do that. And it's something that we have asked the moderators who give warnings. We used to be pretty lackadaisical. It was just like, hate speech, you're banned. That was always a rule. And now it's getting to the point where it's like, it, it's so tribalistic with a, a debate channel that it's like, gosh, it's like, we, folks, don't you get it, that our guests, why would they want to come here if they get treated like crap? Uh, you're kind of undermining the goal of the channel, which if you're at the channel, like you must in some part like the goal of the channel. And yet you're, so it's like, we do want to ask folks, true tolerance is disagreeing with someone and still respecting them, right? So we do want to ask you for that, folks. And we're going to jump to this next question. We don't have that many left. We do want to uh, keep our promise on reading those that we have promised. And so appreciate this one coming in from Will Stewart says, Matt, the first half of my earlier question that you agreed with was a statement of agreement. And they said, the question was, is therefore your assumption that Jesus didn't fulfill prophecy equally as invalid as the assumption that he did? There's, I, there's something about the phrasing there that made it hard for me to, to follow that. Can we do that one more time? Yeah, no, you're not the only one. This is a, it's a mouthful. So they said. Because it's, it's referring to a previous question, and I'm not sure what the previous question was. I think they're saying that you guys actually, so he sent a question in earlier, and he's saying that you guys are actually on the same page for the first part of, like, you could say the kind of the introduction of the question. And he said, uh, so here he's saying the question was, is therefore your assumption that Jesus didn't fulfill prophecy yeah, there's no way you're going to understand. I, okay, so this is part. easy. I am not assuming that Jesus didn't fill prophecy, fulfill prophecy. I am uh, not accepting the claim that he did fulfill prophecy, and we would need to establish a clear prophecy and that something specific about Jesus fulfilled it. I'm not assuming anything, and I am only rejecting the claim that Jesus did fulfill prophecy because I'm having good standards of evidence. If anybody came to me ever in my life and said, hey, here's a book that makes us a, a claim about something's going to happen in the future. And here's another book that shows that that event happened in the future. Now, if I granted all of it, I would still be in a position of saying, wow, that's interesting. How did this specific claim from the past wind up coming true? Did that person have a time machine? Did they have access to a God? Did they get lucky? Did they have people working towards this? Did they make a prediction that was likely to come true? Like, you know, hey, we're gonna have a woman president or whatever. Um, and I would judge them all on the same criteria for the same type of claim. Here's a prophecy claim. Just like when the JREF tests people who claim that they can predict the future. You have to have a specific statement in place beforehand and something not subject to much interpretation, I guess, since Samuel wants to point out we interpret everything, uh, not subject to much interpretation, that clearly demonstrates the truth of it. It's the same across the board, and yet we don't get it with Jesus. We don't get it with other religions. I, we don't get it with the air quotes psychics on the psychic hotline, which is why nobody's ever claimed the million-dollar prize. Gosh, and thank you very much for this question from Good Day to You, sir. Says Samuel, why didn't Jesus fulfill the prophecy in Micah 5.15 and lay waste to the land of Assyria? 
Why wasn't he called Emmanuel even once in the New Testament? I think, uh, yeah, so uh, two questions I think that are really, really good. Uh, if you remember in my opening statement, I said that not every one of those prophecies were fulfilled. I believe that when Jesus comes back the second time, he'll be coming back in judgment. And the first time he came, uh, he came as a ransom for sin. Um, and when you get to, uh, and, and that I think basically in short, the Micah prophecy will be fulfilled at his judgment. So uh, there, is, there, is, there are passages that, you know, for example, when Jesus read, uh, the, the citation from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, uh, anointed me to preach the good news, do good works. Uh, and he comes to the end where he says, you know, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The next line says, and the day of vengeance of our God, Jesus doesn't go there. He stops there because there's a second coming where he's going to bring about the day of the vengeance of our God. Uh, and so we we as Christians, we identify there are two different comings in the second coming uh, will when be uh, when when the judgment will be held. Uh, now, I think with regards to the other question, why was Jesus not called Emmanuel? I think Matt, uh, uh, in Matthew chapter one, when you look at the entirety of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew's goal uh, is to kind of show Jesus as being Emmanuel. So, where so the term Emmanuel is not really his proper name, but rather is a title he carries. Uh, so, in a sense, Matthew says that he will be called Jesus, and the Hebrew word for Yeshua means that, you know, Yahweh redeems or God's redemption, God's deliverance. Uh, it, it basically means that God will redeem or save. And the, the angel says to, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, if I'm not mistaken, to Joseph, call his name Jesus, for he will save, implying that Jesus is the God who saves. Now, Matthew gives his own commentary right under that, saying this was to fulfill uh, what the prophet Isaiah spoke. His name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And throughout the entirety of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tries to show why Jesus is God with us. And in fact, the final verse of the Gospel of Matthew, this is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 20, ends with the phrase, I am with you always, even till the end of the age, fulfilling the title of Je Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, even until the end of the age. So yeah, it's a title. So I can, I can put like a couple seconds on the end of this. What you just heard was a question, why wasn't Jesus called Emmanuel? And it was answered, well, Matthew called him that, even though nobody else did, and claimed that it was prophecy fulfilled. That's what you heard. Or the author of Matthew. We're going to jump to the next question. If you want to hear a response from our guests, you can in the description box. You can read or hear more in terms of what you'd want to, if you want to hear their further response. But this next one, coming in from Father Kuhn 24 says a prediction that would save people's lives would be germ theory. Why would an aspect of the biblical God not make such a proclamation 2000 years ago and bring more people to follow Christ? Yeah, because the goal of the scripture is the salvation of humanity. It's concerned with the soul of humanity and not with dealing with germs. Uh, Jesus will one day bring an end to all of this himself uh, without needing to give us hints on how to do that. That's just Christian theology. Uh, I think the biggest problem, again, and I, I think that Matt understood this as an attack on his character. It's not. Uh, I, I, in any way, no way, in no way, shape or form did I mean that as an attack on his character. I believe all of humanity is sinful. That's just what scripture says. If I'm a Christian, I'm obligated to believe that. Uh, and uh, so I believe that all of humanity is corrupt. That includes me. Uh, I am corrupt uh, and sinful. And your, your attack that, on my character had nothing to do with the claim of corruption. It was accusing uh, me of refusing to believe something, even if God gave me direct evidence. And that okay, is an outright lie. 
I I will finish this and I'll respond to that. Uh, so uh, what what I want what what I meant to say is that uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. Uh, well, do, do you remember where I was going with this, James? Uh, I don't know, but I was in complete agreement with you about the nature of this question and the purpose of Christianity. There's no reason for God to tell us about germs because God. Yeah, for this this yeah. life is like dirty rags. This is a place to wipe your feet before the real life begins. God yeah. doesn't give a crap about what happens to humans in the one and only life we are sure we're going to get. Yeah, so thank, thanks, Matt, for that. Uh, and uh, in response to your question, I think that what I was trying to say is that it's the natural tendency of human beings uh, to deny God, uh, even though God has made himself clear. I think that's, in, it, actually, that was not from me. That was just me quoting Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. But although they knew God, uh, you know, and, and I can read that passage if you want, but that's uh, although they knew God and God had made himself clear to them, you know, man chose to not give God the due credit, uh, even though they knew that. Uh, so that was me just citing that from Romans chapter one. And uh, that's just my theology, Matt. It was not meant to be a personal attack. It was saying that basically any if, if basically without the work of the Holy Spirit, anyone will not, even though the evidence is right before them, they will not. You believe. are misremembering the discussion. The point had nothing to do with Romans 1. Uh -huh. You challenged my position as skepticism and misrepresented it as cynicism, and I clarified that. No, I, if I remember correctly, Matt, you pointed out, I pointed out that, uh, you know, that you were imposing your plausibility framework. That's where it kind of began, right? Uh, and uh, I said that, you know, you, we all have a plausibility framework. You're imposing that on this. So to you, this will not come across as, uh, uh, you know, something that is specific enough. It does not meet your criteria is what I was trying to say. And then I told, I, I went on to point out that I, if, if I heard you correctly in a previous debate, you said that if cert, a, a, a sign, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was in a debate with Mike Licona, uh, where, you know, if a sign was there, uh, you know, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, you, and then you corrected me. I wish you'd just you stop because you don't remember and you're getting it all wrong again. You have completely okay. misrepresented my position. I'm literally sitting right fucking here telling you I'm okay. willing to accept anything based on sufficient evidence. Mm -hmm. When the, the issue with the resurrection was if somebody is dead and then they are alive again, and I don't know how it happened. I'm willing to believe that they were dead and that they are now alive again, but I'm not going to immediately go giving credit to a God or the person standing next to me who's trying to claim credit or anything else. There needs to be a demonstrated causal connection between the source and the effect. And until that happens, it is a mistake for anyone to believe it. That's skepticism. And you... Okay earlier misrepresented it as I would deny and not believe the evidence even coming from God. Go back and rewind at what you okay. actually said. Uh, if, if, if that's what, if, I mean, if that's, and I, and I, yeah, my, my memory on that is a little bit hazy. And if that's the case, I misrepresented you. I, I am sorry for misrepresenting you. Yeah. All so, good. Yeah. I didn't so, hate you. Yeah. I was just like, yeah. I can't believe I'm being misrepresented when I'm literally here to correct it, but it's all good. Thanks for correcting it, Matt. Yeah. Go ahead, sure. James. Yeah. We'll go to this next question from, Appreciate it. Charles in solo says, let's see. All right. JJ in in chat just called me a Nazi. I mean, come on. It's like, that's not, it's, it's funny that now they're just trying to poke. Yeah. Okay. So guys, this is where, why are you angry, Matt? Because my character was attacked. I've been, I've been very clear. I'm going to answer your question attacks. Do want I to tried you know, to be folks. very clear. So, yeah. You guys, why, like, for those of you who are purposely trying to stir the pot, why would guests come back in debate 
why would they feel welcome? They don't want me to, and they're going to get their wish. If you call them things like Nazi, you guys, if you want to call me whatever you want, I'm dead serious. Call me whatever you want. Like, I don't care. But not for the guests. Don't do it. It's we're we're going to start banning a lot of people if they're and I for sure just saw somebody call Matt a Nazi with no reason. I don't there's no reason. It's so, it's they don't want me here. But and we should I'll stop. I will ignore them for the rest of tonight. I, matter of fact, I'll just turn off chat entirely. Well, so that we, but there we is something the to questions. it that we have a culture. Well, forgive me. Hold on one sec. I do want to acknowledge and say thank you to the the huge number of people that are not doing that are not trying to stir the pot. They, I yes. want to acknowledge them. There are a lot of people out there, and so I don't want to sound um, unfair. But there are also people that clearly you're out there trying to stir the pot, and I'm telling you, get ready to get blocked because it's just like how are we? It's not a good culture if people trash our guests. So. We'll, we'll jump to the next question. But, yeah, I definitely am just like, uh, yeah, that is true, what Matt had claimed in terms of someone calling him a Nazi. And so uh, Don Fullman says, Shaz Sam, he did great tonight. You've got a fan out there. And then uh, let's see. Talis and Overlander, just because I uh, – Appreciate your positivity," he says Matt. "Is a handsome boy, because uh, so, <laughs> it's the the uh, we haven't had a ton of positivity tonight. So I do want to at least read that. But folks, uh, yeah, we want to say we appreciate you being here, no matter what walk of life you were from. We whether you be Christian, atheist, you name it. But we do really, despite the fact that it's a debate channel, it's rough and tumble. Sometimes it's you know heated and controversial and things like that. But folks, my hope is that people like those of you, the I think small percentage who are hateful and trying to stir the pot and call people Nazi. My hope is that you would come to this point of, among other things, one, recognizing you disagree with somebody completely and just being like, ah, it's water under the bridge. I'm not going to take it personally. And so instead of throwing insults at them like that. So Mike Q922 says, Matt, we appreciate you. What are your thoughts? on the disciples and Paul's testimony on the resurrection and why reject their claim they saw him? So, good question. And by the way, I don't, apart from addressing the issue of having character attack, I don't have any problem with Sam. Sam and I can go out and have a conversation, a meal, whatever else, maybe sort through this stuff a different way another time. Um, when it comes to the reports of the apostles, um, I, we don't have originals. We don't, we, well, we have our stories and stories of copies of translations of oral traditions. And while I think that there may be some truth to the story, I don't know how to distinguish what's true from what's not. And it would be nice if we had some way to thoroughly and properly investigate this that didn't rely on speculative historical methods. You know, a time machine would be great, or it would be really good if the God in question would just provide this clear, unambiguous evidence to everyone so that you didn't have a thousand denominations of Christianity, so the Christians didn't have to be at war between Protestants and Catholics, so they didn't have to be at odds with the Jews, so they didn't have to be at odds with Islam. Um, it would be really nice if rather than relying on texts, which we know can and have been altered, do differ from the originals, 
if this is the foundation upon which an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God has decided to judge humanity, then he is foolish. He does not seem to understand the basics of epistemology and prefers that people believe things that are gullible on a foundation that will lead them astray and does not seem to want to clear it up. And so I'm believing the scriptures when it says, let God be true and every man a liar. I'm not going to believe ancient stories told by men about God. God can tell me himself. Next up, thanks for your question. This one for you, Samuel. This one is Charles and Solo brings up an ethical question. It says, drowning babies is immoral. God drowned babies and thus God is immoral. For Sam, what's your counter? Please answer in a syllogistic form. Yeah, again, I've, I've did an entire debate with T-Jump in Macon in person in Atlanta just about a month ago on this one topic where T-Jump kept raising this objection. Uh, God's, you're, you're re- referring to the flood uh, where God drowned humanity. God basically was, it was an act of judgment against sinful humanity. Uh, that's the position. I could not be a Christian if I did not hold to that position. Uh, yeah, and, and th- basically it was an act of judgment. And yes, God can uh, judge anyone who basically violates his laws uh, because he is God. That's just it. So Mike makes right. Yeah, I think that God is basically yeah righteous and he has the right to do whatever he wants. Yeah. Including killing children. Yes. Okay. Mike Q922 says, let's see. Second question says, Sam, your thoughts on the rapture, second coming, and 1,000-year reign of Christ. There's different <laughs> views when the events will happen. Thanks, and God bless. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, for me, I have no idea. I'm happy to say I don't know uh, on this one. Uh, I've, I've studied the text. I'm currently doing a Bible study on the book of Revelation. I don't understand uh, the book of Revelation at all. Um, so I'm not going to pretend like I know, figured it out. I, I was a, a historical premillennialist, um, and, and, and yeah, uh, without getting too much into explaining what that is. But currently, I'm just uh, just open to to basically uh, to, to basically uh, either our millennialism, where you don't believe in a, in an actual uh, thousand year period, uh, or even considering post millennialism. I'm just not sure. Gotcha. And thank you very much for your question. Appreciate your support from Juddy Donk, who says, ban these fools makes the environment extremely unwelcome. Love MDD. Hate to see it with these people uh, basically disgracing the channel. And I'd agree, folks. um, I hope that you project all of your anger, all of your malice, all of your rude comments toward me. And moderators, don't erase those. That's okay. Like, but... Not toward the guests, folks. Ralph Ellis, let's see. Okay. Um, yeah, this isn't per se relevant uh, to the question of the debate, but we are looking for more relevant questions. Uh, I don't know if this uh, is really helping in terms of resolving the tribalism. So another one come in or has come in from Pepe740 says, uh, let's see. Love you, James. I'm a big fan of Matt. And uh, Sam, is it all right if I buy you as a slave under the rules? Okay. Not per se under this topic, but uh, we uh, basically we're going to wrap up with that. So we do want to say 
folks, we do appreciate. Well, Sam, uh, forgive me. I didn't have, if you want a chance to respond to that. Um, I can no, give you that no, chance. I, I didn't mean to cut I, you off. Sam. No, I, I, I didn't. Uh, and if I was a slave, I think the scripture would command me to submit to my master. So, uh, and yeah, that, that's just it. Because for the Christian, this life is not all there is. Uh, we are told to be, uh, I mean, the, the Christian is told to, to basically uh, recognize that all things are from God. But that's where the hope of the resurrection really comes in when Jesus comes, comes back uh, to fulfill the rest of the Messianic prophecies, uh, to enact justice. Uh, in the world and to basically become king and to rule literally uh, on earth uh, forever and ever. That's the hope of every Christian and that's the hope of everyone who places their faith in the Messiah, Christ Jesus. I want to thank Matt for this discussion. I do apologize for uh, mischaracterizing him earlier. I hold no ill feeling against him and it pains my heart uh, and it pains my heart to see that, you know, when people attack him uh, on the chat, calling him a Nazi and all that, uh, it, that that's, I mean, I, I hope to God that's not a Christian uh, and, and uh, Thank you, uh, James, as well, for moderating this debate. And, and I also, not, not only do I appreciate Sam's honesty through that, that last answer, because th th those type of questions are ones where a number of apologists that I have sat down with uh, will not be that honest. They will not say that, yes, I would have to submit to my master because, you know, everything happens according to God's plan and everything else. Uh, and, and what the book actually says my view is that the book should say that if you are a slave, you should try to escape and take as many other slaves with you and, you know, stand up in opposition to a vile uh, culture that has owning you as property. Um, but then I'm only more moral than God. So <laughs> what do you expect? Gotcha. All right. Now, I, see, people would have laughed at that, except for you guys. You two didn't laugh at it. Uh, all right. I anyway, I, I'm sorry. I'm trying to read the. No, it's fine. You're trying you. to read a bunch of stuff. I was joking about being more moral than God because I'm willing to tell slaves to escape rather than to tell them to obey their masters, even the cruel ones. But, you know, sometimes jokes don't play. Gotcha. And NOXD, thanks for your question. Said Sam, belief isn't a choice. Why do you say one can choose to or not believe? And why would God punish us for something that is not our choice? Um, so just to be clear, uh, belief is not a choice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, in, in, so again, I think that um, part of the reason I think that uh, my views that Matt just pointed out may be different is because I'm a Calvinist. I think that faith is something, it's a gift of God. It's a work of God. One cannot uh, you know, have faith in God unless God first begins to work in the heart of a person, uh, turning the heart uh, of a sinner uh, to love a God uh, who uh, it, it, who basically seems, uh, you know, fierce and, and powerful and demanding our submission in every sense of that. Uh, I think it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit we can love such a God and come to recognize him as Lord. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that why does God punish us? He, just to be clear, I don't know if that's the way the question was phrased, but God doesn't punish anyone for not believing in him. He punishes us because we are all sinful. Let's be clear. I deserve to go to hell for my sins. I'm a sinner in every sense of that word. The only reason that I have the hope of assurance of the resurrection is because of the Jesus took my hell for me on that cross. Uh, and that's what I believe as a Christian. Gotcha. This question in from Mark Reed says, James is a massive beta soy boy. Love you, James. Thank you, Mark Reed. Appreciate that. And Vinicius Ferreira, thanks for your super smile. And then let's see. Lyingforjesus.org says, Sam, what would qualify as a false or unfulfilled prophecy? 
when uh, someone makes a predictions uh, that that actually clearly does is proven not to come true. A good example of that would be when the false prophets predicted that Israel would not go into captivity. Clearly, that was false. Israel did go into captivity, uh, and that was an example of a false prophecy. Gotcha. Oh, oh, by the way, by the way, I, I want this. I, I need this. And, I, and I'm sure that this time Matt would be 100% with me claiming that Trump would win the election when Trump did not win the election. That's a false prophecy. Yeah. So, yeah. And I did that in 2016 when I said Trump wouldn't win and he did. So I was a false prophet in 2016 and, and the whole world paid the price for it. Gosh. And next up, I think that, uh, let's see, actually, I remember you, Paul, you'd asked a question. So, uh, let's see you. Oh, that, no, not quite. Uh, but want to say thanks, everybody, for being with us tonight. No matter whether or not you are a Christian, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, you name it, folks, we do hope you feel welcome, and we appreciate you being with us. We are going to make changes, which I will address in the post credit scene in terms of, uh, yeah, definitely, we, like I said, if you want to trash me, have at it. We won't delete it, and moderators don't delete it. But like I said, we do not want you to trash guests and that is hurting the channel. So we are going to, we'll talk about that during the post credit scene. Want to remind you that our guests are linked in the description. And also folks, we are thrilled that you're here. If you enjoyed this debate, want to let you know on screen, you are seeing right now, we are on virtually every popular podcast app. So check us out there as we are really excited to see a lot of people have been downloading those. So super encouraged by that. And if you're listening via podcast, want to let you know, you can find our guest links in the podcast description box as well now. And also want to let you know, hey, if you rate us, if you're listening to the podcast, that helps us a lot. We do appreciate that. And so one last thanks to our guests. It's been we, we love you guys. I know it's, it is, it's rough and tumble, Matt and Sam, and we appreciate you guys. We hope that everybody out there can, and like I said, I think most people actually are tolerant. It is a small percentage of people, so I don't want to, for everybody out there, a lot of you are awesome. I don't want you to perceive it as me throwing a, you know, kind of calling you out when in actuality it's a small percent. But long story short, thank you, Matt and Sam, for being with us. Same for me. And by the way, in chat right now, in addition to Sam and I talking about how badly we both need to pee because we drink too much, uh, we were talking about getting together to discuss these things elsewhere. Don't assume that just because something got heated that all of a sudden, oh my God, it's like the person in chat that was like, oh, Matt's a Nazi. I see this over and over again on Twitter and everything else. Everybody who disagrees with me is a Nazi and you're the worst. And I don't think in those terms. And Sam doesn't either, which is why we can have... Um, kind of a, a knockdown drag drag out exchange and still have something productive. I think there was a lot of productive stuff here tonight. And uh, anyway, that's, Thank you, that's Matt. it. Thanks everybody. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate that. Thanks so much. And yeah, encourage you folks having bitterness or unforgiveness uh, for those of you people out there trying to stir the pot, want to let you know uh, you're only hurting yourself. Like, you're, it's not something that you're going to like, it's going to like blossom into something beautiful. It's it's going to be something that it's like you're going to be miserable while holding out of those grudges. And so I'm telling you, folks. Uh, but anyway, we will be back in a moment with post credit scene on upcoming debates as we are excited for those. And so I want to say thanks, everybody. Keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. We'll be back in just a moment. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.